Jared, thanks for being on the show. It is exciting to have a subject matter, a 3D printing and a technology subject matter uh, on board. So uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for hosting me. You know, it is uh, it is fun watching your videos. You have a plethora of videos that cover a whole bunch of the industry, and uh, that's what got me excited about getting on here with you. How did uh, how did you get started in this whole idea? Well, I was still in uh, school studying business and engineering, uh, and I was traveling in China with a roommate of mine who was Chinese. Uh, and I, he, his family took me around China for three weeks. So we went everywhere, driving all across the country. And one of the places we went uh, was Shanghai, which is close to the Windsun printing facility. I had been interested in 3D printed construction, seeing $10,000 3D printed house on Facebook, something or other like that. Uh, I think that was a lot of people's first introduction to 3D printed construction. But Windsun for $30 let me go visit their facility. And uh, I filmed it. That was my first YouTube video. And when I got back to the United States, there was a company printing in New York, close to my parents' house in New Jersey. So I took advantage of the proximity, made another video, and that got the ball rolling to the point where these companies started contacting me and asking for me to film with them, which was awesome, uh, because it gave me, I guess, access to be able to film all their new developments, new technologies. And since then, they've come such a long way. Now there's just an overwhelming amount of uh, content for me to be able to go film you know, I, you're, I think you're right. As I've seen the 3D printing world, you know, in just this last even eight or nine months, uh, you know, as we're coming out of COVID, I think a lot of there's a lot of uh, learning that happened during that time where people focused on some great new stuff. I mean, it is uh, you know, every year the multiple in that industry changes, you know, the, just how fast, how much smarter it's getting. Uh, you can really start to see some some revolutionary stuff from you know the the printers themselves, the materials they're using, uh, the the processes they're they're, they're doing them by. Uh, you know, it, it's blowing me away. Yeah. You know the uh, so so as, as you started going out there, uh, where are I, I saw one of your videos thirty uh thirty three D printers. So talk to me a little bit about are those what what uh, what you come away with. Well, that was one of the first videos I made after I graduated college. I knew I was going to do uh. I had those first videos out already. They were starting to get traction. I think they had like a couple thousand, maybe 10,000 views, something like that. Enough to make me really surprised by how many views it got, but not enough for it to be revenue generating. Um, so I just took the fastest job I could get right out of college, which was just a labor job. And I was ripping up commercial tile, 20,000 square feet of commercial tile, me and one other guy. And it was right when COVID hit. So the, the contractor wasn't sure how many jobs he was going to get. Uh, he didn't get any sunbelt equipment. He had us doing it with crowbars because he wanted the job oh. to last as long as possible. It was terrible. Uh, I did it for a few months and saved up money. I mean, it was terrible, but it was great. It was, I was living with my parents at that time. So I saved up, uh, it was $8,000 was enough for me to have the confidence to take my Jeep and start driving around the country to all these different 3d printed construction companies. The first one I visited was icon in Texas, knowing they were, uh, had raised by far the most amount of money and completed the most projects in America. So I went down, tried to contact them, and it was tough. Uh, they were open to it, but they were waiting. So I was crashing on my buddy's couch in Austin. He had a startup. It's called Truck Bucks. Now it's Zeke. They're still operating, and they have like three trucks now uh, in Austin. And he let me crash on his couch. And once Icon finally, three months later, let me film with them, uh, the next company I visited was 20 Additive Manufacturing in Canada. And I just kept going from there. And I uh, 
for two years, I was just bouncing project to project to project. And I didn't even know where I was going to go next, but I would film and then somebody would contact me. It's like, oh, I guess I'm going to uh, Texas again, New York, California. Um, and then I went to Europe. I saw Kobad. I saw, I went to Switzerland, Belgium, Germany, uh, Denmark, uh, France, the Netherlands, and visited as many companies as I could while I was in Europe. Uh, then went to the Middle East, did the same thing there, as many companies as I could there. And uh, now, just a few months ago, I got this studio I'm in, uh, and I'm no longer on the road 100% of the time. It's about 60% of the time at this point. So, you know, you start off with with that something very interesting, right? You take this leap of faith, right? You get 8,000 bucks in your pocket. Now you're young and you're sleeping, couch, you're couch surfing to make it happen. You know, this is something I, I try to, inspire others to see like look there's never a perfect time to go right you you get you get down to icon it takes three months to get to see their their, their bot right and in that three months you've got to make you know you still got to you know feed yourself and, and do what you got to do to to get by and the dream comes the dream goes the dream comes the dream goes you know during that time you know every entrepreneur i've ever met goes through ups and downs in that right? what am i doing am i nuts am i using this genius am i nuts am i genius am i nuts right it's kind of that that feeling that goes along with taking the big risk right yeah i guess it didn't feel like so much of a risk because it was right when covid started basically so nobody was doing anything special with their lives everybody was shut down waiting um and so for me to take that risk nobody batted an eye nobody was saying like oh you should just get a normal job you should do something everybody was like it's covid anything is good that you're like you're doing something that's amazing uh so it was easy for me I, in that situation i guess uh if anything, I felt like I would have been taking a bigger risk trying to get a regular job and sticking with that because I would have been miserable for the rest of my life. I, I think it's right. You know, you're uh, you know, a lot of people that it's kind of crawled up in a ball during COVID and like, ah, it's COVID, I can't do anything. So others took advantage of it, right? And had this opportunity, this blessing that comes out of this podcast that you're doing it and really start to look at it and go, all right, during this time, I'm going to hone my skills and I'm going to go try, uh, go try on some stuff. And I, I really do believe that's the gift of, of taking taking this on, like taking the bigger, bolder life, you know, I, I think you hit it right. The uh, taking a job, okay, I can do that. It's security, right? And I remember the first time I I did my first company and started. It, look, of course, I could go work for somebody at public. I could go work at a grocery store and bag groceries like my friends did. But I started as a lawn mowing service, and I had to go knock on doors and start. Like taking that risk is scary, but all of a sudden. There's something about it that just blows you. There's something exciting about it as well, right? And and also exhausting about it. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of jobs. Uh, I've had like probably a dozen jobs. My college had a co-op program. So I had different construction jobs, management. I worked at Federal Reserve for a while. Uh, and I think you said having a job gives you security. I always felt like an insecurity at my job. Like I'm not doing the best work that I can be doing right now. If I was in charge of the work that I could be doing and giving myself my tasks, I think I could be achieving more faster, learning more. Uh, and so I feel much more secure uh, as the captain of my ship. I, I, I agree more. I couldn't agree Even more. though it's just a dinghy at this stage, but we'll see where it goes. Here, it, and, and look, that's the joy of it, right? Because you're in control. I, I used to go to work in a corporate environment. And every week, I didn't know if I was, had said the wrong thing to somebody. I was always worried, like, I did a great job with my job. But then 
you know, did I say the wrong thing to Bob or Betty or Bruce? And did I use the wrong vocabulary or did I forgot to say thank you? Or did I not stop by and get the boss coffee? I, who knows what, it, what whatever it was, but there's always like this sense of like not knowing my future. They can walk in anytime. In fact, I had worked for six different companies where I never got fired, but they quit building, right? I, I was doing development for these different brands and I'd get that knock on the door and say, you know, we're not building anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the nature of construction. It's a project-based industry. And once the project's complete, you got to find another one. Yeah, yeah. And I finally said, I, I, we, we can't take that on. But, you know, so that's that's exciting. You know, being an entrepreneur that you are, I think that's is exciting. And watching- I don't your- like to call myself an entrepreneur because it's a, I'm more of a, right now, creator. One day I'd like to be an entrepreneur, but I, ha- I hold so much respect for entrepreneurship that yeah. I don't think that- uh, the stage I'm in right now, I'm in just a research stage. It's great that I'm able to get cash flow from consulting calls or course sales and different things like that, uh, YouTube ad revenue. Uh, but really, this stage of my life, my 20s, is all about learning. So I'm trying to learn as much as I can from uh, the smartest people I can. And uh, we'll see what kind of entrepreneurship I can do in my 30s. How did you do with getting uh, ad revenue from, from the projects that you're doing? How did, how did you get all that to, co- to come into play? Yeah, ad revenue is not something that's created at first. I think for everybody making videos, you hit the thousand subscribers, 4,000 watch hours, and they start paying you uh, 50 cents a day, something like that. And it's like, wow, there's money coming in from this. That's crazy. Uh, And I guess you just make more videos and it works. And every creator is different. Some people, a lot of people do apparel. That's usually the first next step. But uh, it wasn't for me. I didn't think my audience would be interested in clothes or a hat or something. Uh, the first other revenue thing I did was a virtual village. So I had a 360 camera and I would take a 360 digital tour of each printed building I visited. Uh, and then for $20 a month, people could access all the digital virtual tours and physically look around 360 degrees, all the different 3D printed buildings. And so, I mean, that never really generated any much revenue. It was like, hundred bucks a month, 200 bucks a month. Now it's like 150. Uh, I don't promote it very much. So very few people find it. They just like click onto it on my website, but uh, that was one way I tried. And then the next thing was the course, which was really a great thing. How to 3d print a house because my audience is so niche. They were watching my content for how to 3d print a house. And I never wanted to make a course because I saw so many YouTubers and it looks so scammy, I guess, uh, especially when it's like invest in the S and P 500, here's the course or like, I don't know, but so many people were asking in the comments. So I've created the course and uh, that was a great thing for generating cash flow. I still sell some courses uh, without having to push it too hard. It's just a link in the description of the videos. And the uh, after that, I got a sponsorship deal, which was a big step up. And so in the future, I think sponsorship deals is probably the way to go. That's nice. You know, the uh, you start to learn from yeah, as you go, right? I, I don't think I, I could ever figure out my path forward, but I look back, I can see how that got created, right? All the little steps it took, all the different places I've went, uh, all the different you know things I learned, none of them were linear. I, I could not tell you today what's going to happen 10 years from now, but I certainly could see why I'm doing today what I'm doing based on what I did the last five years, right? I, I could definitely see the steps it took and how those kind of lined up and gave me the path to get to where I am today. Yeah, I'd like to have... Uh, like one side project every quarter that I think might generate a thousand bucks a month in revenue. Uh, And usually they don't, (laughs) but it's how I'm experimenting and trying different things. That's how you throw spaghetti at the wall. You see what sticks. I, uh, I have a big leadership meeting tomorrow with, with uh, the big company I have CDO group. And 
they, I, I swear that that leadership body looks at me and goes, listen, every, every time I walk in with another harebrained idea and they're, but we learn from them, right? We, we go down the path, we go through this process and we try on different things in marketing, different things in, in, the, in the business, you know, uh, the, the different technologies that we, we bring to the company, but all of them feel a little goofy at first, right? When you bring them, when you, when you walk in and go, look, we're going to go down to one software that runs the entire company. Today, we have 12 different software. Uh, tomorrow, the uh, meeting is all about uh, going into one software that takes us from the time we meet a customer to the time we close them out and, and you know communicate with that database long-term. But right now, we've got 11 or 12 different softwares that we use that takes it you know, through estimating, through the you know, our, our client acquisition, through estimating, through the uh, operations, through, through uh, uh, daily reports and communication with the clients. All of those softwares are are different, and I'm and I'm saying, look, it's just it's 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 the worst part about the business. We have all this great technology we do, but it's it's ultimately what the flaw is in our industry. We've got we collect all this data at the beginning, and then you know, so the idea tomorrow is to talk about all right, we're going to go from cradle to grave with one source of truth that everybody can use, and you know, look, it pushes everybody to try something new on when it's already working from each you know, look, each department's like. I don't want to change my software. I like my software. Our group, you know, it works great. Our, our guys are just at a point now where we get daily reports out every single day and nobody ever misses one. Or every one of our job site cameras is live and we can watch job sites around the country at any given time. And you want us to change that? And uh, I'm like, yeah, the problem we're having is that all these little segments of data that, that, that we don't take is the ultimate problem with the business is that we keep creating all this great data and we don't take it and we spread it out through the entire industry and then keep it with the building, right? The long-term, the real idea is that uh, the, all the information we gather about a piece of dirt or a piece of project or something that we're working on should stay with that building in a blockchain technology uh, forever. And it you know, should be sourceable and all that kind of stuff that we're doing. So it pushes buttons when we come up with big ideas. It's, it takes a little bit to go there with the group and, yeah. and guide them as they... Uh, as they get uncomfortable because you're pushing their button. Whether it's a blockchain technology or just an Excel spreadsheet, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. But the uh, the problem you have is one I'm jealous of comes from managing people. I don't have to deal with that yet. You know, get there. Believe me, enjoy enjoy where you are now. The uh, <clears throat> you know the thing about it is when you're by yourself and it's you and you got a team. Yeah, decision making is great on the fly, but uh, teams are great too because they can tell you when your decisions are crap. <laughs> That, and that's, but that's a tough here. That's an evolution of a man, right? I will tell you that for myself, you know, at first, you know, why I was great at what I was great at construction. Like I was really great at it. Like I, I don't mean to brag or boast of them, but like I knew it intimately. It was something I knew. And when I did it, I knew it. Right. And then you let go of it and you hire some really smart people and they know it better than you. And you have to let go of your ego and go, listen to them. And there's a transition of a man going from this, kind of, uh, I, I always say warrior king, this guy who fought all these battles by himself and went out there. Now you have to become more reverent where you have a team of people that are smarter than you are and taking the company somewhere where it, it and that's the whole reason why I got the podcast. Really, really the whole was I, I had a business uh, development person that came in and said, look, if you're going to grow, you can't, you're the bottleneck. You're, you're the guy that's the bottleneck of the company now. Uh, you, you know, you, you hire all these great people, but you have to make all the decisions with them. It's not very useful to the company. You have to let go of that, and I couldn't see it. And a lot of that had to do with my own, uh, my own man, you know, part uh, the part of me of a man that that needed some, you know, I, I needed a little bit of uh, 
uh, you know, that, that ego fed or, or whatever you may call it, but irrelevance, right? It really all boils down to being relevant in the world. And you want to feel like you're relevant because look, look, look what I've built. And now you have to like let go of that. Some of my relevance, some of that relevance changed, right? And now I had to step back and let other people uh, do it. And I just noticed that there was a little bit of that feeling. And they said, well, look, why don't you fill that hole with something you really enjoy doing? And that's how the podcast came in. It's like, I love finding really great people that do, you know, finding really intelligent people. I get to interview them. I get to spend time with them. It's uncomfortable, but that's the part I love the most. The part where we sit, two men sit together or two people sit together and learn about a topic and talk through it. There's something about that that really excites me. And uh, that, that's why, you know, I've been doing this podcast since, since uh, you know, for a couple of years now. Awesome. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. So uh, let's get back into 3D printing because I know we went a whole nother way, which I, I love anyways. I think that's part of a great podcast is uh, talk to me a little bit about the 3D printers that you're, that you're seeing and how do you how do you categorize? Generally, they're categorized into either a gantry system, which would be on the exterior of the print volume. So imagine pillars and you can print anywhere inside uh, or a robotic arm system or a centrally oriented radial system that sits on the inside of the print volume and prints around itself. So that's an easy uh, way to separate them. You can also classify them by the material they're using, whether it's a cheaper regular concrete or a 2K material that can do overhangs and do kind of curves going up uh, without any kind of sand support or stuff like that. But there's so many. At this point, there's 312 companies that I'm covering. So 312, wow. I hear, I, I knew of a hundred change. There's 312 of them now. Not all of them are making their own printers. A lot of them are buying a printer, but there's 312 companies aiming to print uh, concrete or uh, comparable materials. Wow. And what, what are the, the differences between them do you see? Is, is it the gantry system versus the arm system? Are, they, are some better with the, the materials they're using? Are some better with the software they're using to run the machines, uh, the 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 uh, uh, robots? Or what, what's what's the difference? Yeah, of course they all have their specialties. Uh, I don't pick any favorites. I'd love to see cost data from a completed project that's fully transparent uh, to back up some of the big claims that they've been making for years. We'll see where it goes. I think when the time comes that they're ready to share that data, uh, it'll be some great content. Yeah, I, for sure, there's no way possible that it's cost effective yet, right? I mean, th this is this is that part where, like, like we're doing with solar panels or early flat screens. Early flat, right, that's right, right. I mean, for sure, it, it, we're in that that spot right now. Or you know, you, you can say that's the joy of of how fast we're growing. Right, we're we're changing and growing and getting smarter every every single day. And um, are you involved in three D printed construction? Not yet. Uh, yeah, we keep looking at where do we, we want to jump in, and we were dying to jump in somewhere, but we just haven't found a project to partner up with somebody or get on one. I keep looking, going, I'll just do one myself. Right, I, I pick, pick a piece of property and just go out there and do. There's some down in Florida that uh, some properties that we own down there. I'm like, can't we just get kind of kind of deal with one of these guys and, and go do an experiment? Uh, with one of the companies we have on the podcast and, and have them uh, come on and uh, uh, do some demos down there. 
they're yeah. getting they get a lot of offers people say hey we got some land you can experiment on our land all you want they they have no interest in those kind of deals they have opportunities for days well the the, the problem the, the, the real problem i'm seeing that is is getting the it's all of the the upfront work right because look once you're printing and once you're going that 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 doesn't seem like the the big the hardest problem it, that's really, wrong go ahead so talk to me the printing is a challenge it's it's not easy all right. So now what talk to me about the entitlement process. It seems like getting the cities to permit and allow this this material to be used seems to be the more difficult uh, convincing to even before you even start the project. Yeah, permitting is tough. It depends on the municipality. They have to be uh, willing. And even if you get the permit, other things can shut down projects like once a permitted project, uh, fire marshal shut it down. They had the slab port already. It didn't happen uh another other projects get the permit they get the fire marshal approval and then they can't get home insurance and you can't get a co without home insurance uh it costs five million dollars to start a private home insurance company so that's pretty restrictive but uh yeah there's all kinds of there's a million hurdles i recently put out a video the 11 lies about 3d printed construction and it's one i had been holding off on making for a long time i didn't want to do it myself so i got stefan mansour on He's the guy writing the ISO ASTM codes for 3D printed construction. Uh, so me and him hashed out, we went back and forth one myth at a time for 3D printed construction. And we came up with 11 in total, which uh, illuminate the falsehoods that a lot of the marketing departments like to push on people to get views. Well, I, I think that they need to do that to get people excited about it. And like everything, like, like everything that we do, they're... There is much there right now. All three D printers are as much, uh, you know, kids in a sandbox as they are construction people. Yeah, right? I don't hold it against them whatsoever. They're doing their job, and I'm doing mine. Right, and, and I think that's it's completely legit in that they're, you know, they're they're, they're, they're ten making, years ahead of themselves. Yeah, they're making big bold statements to inspire people in order to get the momentum to make the movements. It's it's kind of like Elon Musk where he makes these big bold statements and then the people are back in the office going, oh shit, I got to do that, you know. And why we still don't have a cyber truck out and may not come out in twenty three, may come out in twenty four. And you know, yeah, I ordered mine years ago, so I'll get. Uh, I think I'm order number two hundred thousand. That'll be a great day whenever that arrives. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, I got to get a couple of them, and I was like, well, we'll we'll see. Uh, and and I've had I've had. To buy a couple of vehicles since then to uh to to uh so, you know uh, to get through but that's i think that's where the industry is right people are out there going look we, we've got to automate construction for sure there is a the the boom in housing needs is coming right yeah the workforce can't keep up with it it can't keep up with it and we can't there's not enough houses you know i'm down in florida today and if you look around here there are there are cranes flying all over the place. Like li literally, there are within five blocks of where I'm at right now. There are four massive cranes that are out there uh, building, you know, some couple thousand uh, residential spaces, and that's still not enough, right? It's still not enough, right? So we're we're gonna we're gonna hit this we're gonna hit this big bubble where we need these houses, this how this housing, and uh, it feels like. We don't have the labor force to get there. All, all the projects we have going on right now across the country, we could do twice as much because we, we've got the projects. We just don't have the people, right? We, we're slowing down because we can't get enough superintendents. We can't get enough. When we get to the job sites, 
you know, teams that used to have 10 people, per, you know, uh, electricians used to show up with 10, 10, uh, 10 guys on a job site, show up with uh, four to six. And they're like, hey, look, we're, we'll get, we're, we're, we're out there. They're four, six decent guys, but they're not enough to get to, you know, we, we, we can't get the teams like, like we used to. Everybody's spread thin with the manpower. So, you know, every every contractor on the planet is looking and going, hey, look, as soon as I can buy a $500,000 electrician, you know, or a, a $1.5 million electrician, I'll buy three of them. It's and interesting you jump right to the electrician. That's something that's uh, pretty far off from being automated at this stage, it seems. The, are the carpenters in short supply? Carpenters I mean, are in short supply. Uh, bricklayers are in short supply. Getting masons yeah. right now is really, really tough right now with good. masons. Good, good for me. Not Maybe not good for everybody, but good yeah, for automation and construction. No, it, it for sure it is. You know, and we've seen some brick lane robots. We've seen some. Uh, look, it's, it's also it's, good for those people who are working those jobs because they don't have to be afraid that this technology is going to take their jobs away. There's always going to be repair work for the old buildings and people who want to have a hand built home, just like people want a hand built Bentley. Well, let's let's go there. This is a topic I love talking about. Let's get let's get right to it. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job because of a robot. Is the biggest BS conversation that's ever existed. If yeah. if our society decided that we were not going to change because someone's going to lose their job, you're sacrificing the well-being of others for the well-being of lesser or well, fewer we're, people. Well, we're we're going to say you remember phones used to be answered five 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 Chicago, right? And then at one point we answered phones, uh, you know, like like with the road, you know, then. Those people all still have, today we all have, I mean, do you guys, do you have a landline in your house anymore? Of course not. I never will. I don't right. even have cable. Right, right. right. So none of that, that all those people that used to run those jobs have jobs. Now, for sure, people are worried, well, what's going to happen to me? And, and, and by the way, it's happening fat with technology and AI. The, the evolution of the human is going to happen much, much faster. But my real belief is that we're also learning ways, you know, the old ways of training people, the old industrial way of sending people to school for 12 years to learn reading, math, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic is a nonsensical way of learning, right? It, it, we try to teach the masses one way of learning and as artificial intelligence comes in and will start to really help us support our learning and changing, that evolution of the human will happen in different ways and much, much quicker. Yeah. yeah, if automation in construction gets solved in my lifetime, education will be the next thing to tackle. It, it'll, be, it'll be the first thing to tackle, right? As automation in construction is happening, automation in the in the way that we train people is happening. The future of our game will be. By the way, there'll be no more general contractors. I, I for sure we've we've focused out and gone. At some point, AI will design drawings. That will be the most elaborate, beautiful buildings using. I disagree because there's always the liability question, and so. There's a portion of the the design is on the engineer, the build is on the GC, and someone ultimately will have to take that liability. It will be. I, I disagree with you. There, there's no way in the world. So they, who's liable if the so, machine doesn't work? So look, who's liable today? The GC is liable if they didn't build it right. The engineer is liable if they didn't design it right. No, the insurance company. At the end of the day, there's not someone like you and I are not going to go to jail. Your insurance company is going to pay a fine and pay fees for it. I mean, no, no one's. Unless someone ethically goes out there and does something inappropriate, AI will design the future of the game. Will be you know, the, the problem we have today is that our architects are limited by one toolbox. So right? who's paying for the insurance? So there's always going to be a GC. Somebody needs uh, to operate the printer, even if it's remote. Somewhere in there, artificial right, GCs will be boiled down to people with technology. Exactly right. 
it'll be designed by AI. It, here, it may be inspired by a human or an artist, but I even believe at some point AI will be a better artist than we are. They'll be able to play on our emotions and know the. They'll be able to pull from ideas that we can't. Interestingly even... enough, Tesla has removed a huge chunk. I think two thirds of the robots from their Fremont facility in uh, California and reinvested in people. And that's what's enabled them to be the most productive car factory in uh, North America. Obviously, they're still using more robots than anyone else at a higher capacity than anyone else. But they, at a one point, they had too many robots. They need the people. And that's going to be the ebb and tide of the growth, right? You, you'll, you'll, you'll go down a path and then you'll realize, man, we pushed it too far, right? And then we'll learn. We'll pull it back and go, all right, look, there's just too What's much. What's the path to get rid of the GC? I don't understand this. So it's, it's an easy path, right? If you look at today, the entire GC world is a lie. It, the whole part about it is a lie. I, I Here, you, you say you build it for $10. I come in and say, I'll do it for $9. Connor, the producer on the show, he'll say he does it for eight dollars. Someone's lying. Either change order. It's fourteen dollars. Sorry. That's right. That's right. You're, you're, so, so the in, the idea that it's the biggest waste in society. If you take a a four hundred thousand dollar building, right? Let's just say a, we're going to build a subway for four hundred thousand bucks. It takes five or six contractors to go bid on that project, right? And each one of those contractors says there's twenty trades in each one of those ones. For my company, it's cost me about five thousand bucks to bid a project if we do it really, really well, right? Mm. They say it's more like somewhere five to ten thousand bucks for us to bid it. Each one of those subcontractors spends a couple thousand bucks to bid it. Each one of the suppliers that supply those people costs money to do that. Before we even start the project, we've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in wasted costs because only one out of the six people who bid it, and out of you know the, the 20 subs and each line item, we have three subs that bid each line item. Mm. Before we even bid the project, the amount of waste that happens in the industry, in the world, for a four hundred thousand dollar job it's half the cost of the job, right? So think about that. Six, five groups of people don't get the job. So they've wasted their time. The amount of waste in the industry, just if just in that one component is nonsense. Yeah. Now, the way that we do that is because we want the best price. And at the end of the day, there is a price that to be paid. And as artificial intelligence starts to take design and- they're I see what you're pay, saying. It becomes more commoditized instead of a labor thing where it's a different price every day of the week. That's right. Now, now when you take an AI, when you take artificial intelligence and it's able to design a product, what's great about it is it starts to change the way things happen as it's designing it, right? It, it can pull from every part of every, you know, at some point, artificial intelligence will be able to pull technologies and materials from every part of the world, right? It might take, it might take, you know, two by fours from, from Central America and it might take <clears throat> metal metal studs from, from Pittsburgh, and it made me take screws from India, and it, it, it'll pull all those together based on timing, availability, and the best cost and the best product for the job, and it'll be able to do that in a second. Today, you and I can't compute that fast. If you and I sit down and try to put out a schedule, I do this every day with people. Every single day, I put schedules together, and before they're done, before I'm done with the last second of it, the schedule's already shipped. It's literally shipped before it's before I even get to the bottom of the schedule because. We pull, we're pulling so many lies in the game that now the guy who said he can do it for $8, who said he's going to have 10 people, shows up with four people, and he messes up his schedule because he can't make the schedule. So, so it ends up happening all the subs that are behind. They're already on thin margins because they bid the crap out of it to get to the job. Their margins are thin, and now that team of people all get messed up because the sub before them couldn't get their work done in agreement. And nobody can communicate fast enough to the rest of them not to blow their day and show up at a job site that's not ready. This happens millions of times across the industry every single day. Artificial intelligence will be able to take the technology to design the product. And as it's designing, it will be able to go to the workforce, just like Uber does, and says, 
all right, Mr. Five-Star Plumbers, you're a five-star plumber. You want to maintain that five-star plumber? Look, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to go to Scope, and here we have a project in Boca Raton, Florida, and it's going to be 17 weeks of, of, of plumbing work for you. And here's the following items that you're going to need, skills you're going to need to have. And if you have those, go ahead and bid on this project. And they'll get the and five-star plumbers will get first shot and here's how much they'll get paid. And every day they'll show up at the job site and every material they need will be exactly this location. Yeah, I think that will happen. I don't think that's likely to happen in my lifetime. I I, I would tell you that the, the revolution I hope it does. The revolution is happening. It's not far. Really, what we start to think about what is missing, it's the APIs between the so since BIM technology has come into place where we take the physical world and we can make it on a digital platform and the digital platform on the physical world. Today, with total stations and all the stuff that we're working on, you know, if you go look at the cool new total stations that uh, Hilti has or, or any, of the, any of the groups out there that have a total station that take your digital plans and your physical, and your physical environment and you can you know, drop down and see both, right? I can, I can see my physical world where I'm at and drop down and overlay the digital world there that's the start of metaverse. That's the start of all those technologies that will enable us to interact in ways with the digital world like never before. I and hate all way. those buzzwords because what can any of those do that you can't put in an Excel sheet on the cloud? It, it, the, the problem with them is they don't have the APIs to communicate with each. So Excel is great, right? The problem with Excel- What data specifically? Like let's let's not talk about buzzwords. Let's talk about functions uh, like in the dirt. I got here, so watch. The problem with Excel is it's all in this one silo, right? What you need to be able to do is take that silo of data. In the data. cloud, I said. Oh, here, okay, so take it in the, in the cloud of, you need the API. No silo, accessible anywhere to all 8 billion people. It's long, Excel is a great uh, smart sheet. Google Excel. Sheets, let's say, yeah. And Google Sheets, look, they're all great platforms. So what does the metaverse or the, uh, the blockchain do that those don't do? Different, two different ideas. Give me right? one example. Right, so here, the metaverse has you be able to communicate with people in a way where you and I will be in a, here, the world that you're in today, right? Are we doing that now? Here, 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 no, we're, we're almost doing that now. But imagine our interaction, this is on a 2D screen, right? You and I are having a physical, we're not really having a physical uh, interaction. We're limited by a 2D screen that we're looking at. Today, this 2D screen really spells out our interaction. Now, imagine being in a world where we feel that's close again, where you can touch your desk, I can touch my desk. You know, I was just sat down in uh, uh, Orlando for a McDonald's convention and McDonald's is working on the metaverse where you and I will be in a room together, play video games or talking or doing whatever we're doing. And you can order, we can all order McDonald's together and you'll have it delivered to your house. I'll have it delivered to my house and we can literally eat it and look at each other eye to eye, not through this 2D experience, which look- You want that? Yeah, think about it. It'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll, bring, it'll bring people together in a way that like, like, look, we're, we're trying to do that now. You and I are trying to create a physical relationship by looking in the cameras and staring at it where we won't have to try to do that anymore. We'll actually look, we'll be able to see each other as if we were standing here physically. And that becomes a whole other way of communicating. It's hard to see today, right? But it, so, so was Uber when cars were invented. You, you couldn't imagine Uber when cars were invented. You, you just couldn't see it. But I'm really today, a results guy. I got to see something uh, in person to believe it. And I have to, it can't be conceptual. The whole anything conceptual uh, is so disinteresting to me because that's what all the media is today. Just all conceptual headlines, bullshit. Uh, what's real? What's physically here? What's being built? How long is it taking? How much does it cost? I And I, I, I get your excitement about that. But you got to remember. Software sucks. 
Well, here, and, and all of it sucks because everybody's working in little silos. Today, if, if you look at how AI works, right? How, how, how does AI work? It takes an idea, right? It says, all right, I'm going to point at this camera. And it takes the idea and goes, all right, first of all, where's the camera? How are you going to point? What's your finger look like? What's the distance? Each component of the point, right, gets dissolved in its in a little a little solutions. And those go down to bigger solutions. And, and as those rise up and the idea gets solved, it, it rises and joins it to the next one to the point where I can point to a camera, right? Where AI will make a thing that points to the camera. And there are little decisions that get solved at a base level and move up. Well, that's what's happening now in our world. Today, the people in 3D printing are, are great. Look, they have an idea. I want to be able to print a house. Oh, look, a machine will drive to a place and print a house. And there are thousands of, there are 302, what did you say, 300, how many companies? 12, the number changes all the time. I'm always erasing the number on my whiteboard, replacing it. 312 companies are out there doing. Now, inside those companies, there are people working on all facets of it, right? Inside of those companies are people that are working on, on the material selection. Oh, right? that's a different list. <laughs> right, so, so they're, they're, so they're working with groups, whole other groups that are trying to solve materials, right? And they're working on- uh, I got another list of architects and another list of- uh, That's right. I don't that's know right. what the other one is. Well, the, well, people that are working on the strat on the on the software, right? People, how does that software compute? What are the chips that we use to put in the soft in, in the, into the robots? How are you? How is it going to communicate back and forth? I mean, at some point, you want to be able to have it self-sustainable, where a machine can drive out to a site, build a project, and leave and go home and be done. Yeah, that's the dream. Right. The, right. The dream is it could travel around the world and pop up houses as fast as we can get them there. And, you know, there'll be lots of people that are solving that today. And that's what that's what's happening now. I mean, I don't really know much about AI or uh, software development. Do you know software? Do you code? I don't code at all. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're out of our wheelhouse here, man. We've got a lot of really valuable construction experience. I mean, how many square feet did you build last year? We've done several million last year. Several million square feet. That's yeah, crazy. If you look at, if you look at we're about, about a little over $100 million, $100 million worth of construction a year. And what are the most biggest, I mean, for me, if you could 3D print the elevator shaft, that would be huge because that's where the beginning of the building, every, every big building is built from the elevator shaft. So, and they're the most expensive too. I mean, that's from the, the pulleys and actually installing the elevator, but if you could automate just the shaft of the elevator, uh, how would that change your business? If you could just, absolutely. The elevator shaft alone, if you could show up and, and print that, be great. Right, just self-sustain a shaft printing uh, robot. Be be great to be able to do that. One that pours the slabs on each floor. Whole another technology. What are some other big pain points for you? You know, most of our pain points are getting from the time that we've been awarded the project to getting people onto a job site. Mm -hmm. Right, to communicate with those teams in a way that has them set up so that when they show up, they're effective. Right, I would say that one of the biggest problems we have today is that we have humans that are taking, they're, they're, they're in the weeds, right? Our project managers are never bored, right? They're working on multiple projects at the same time. And while they're finishing up one project, they're awarded another project. And while they're trying to, the hardest part of a project is the end, right? The 20 minute, the, the 520 minute jobs that need to get done at the end of a project are the killers for, for a project manager. At the same time, they need to spend the right amount of time to start up a new project so that they can take the the so they can better set the next project up to avoid as many of the 520 minute jobs that didn't happen on the last one to get solved. 
and there's there's the pain point is that our people are constantly moving from one one project to another project and everything that we learned on the one project seems to have we get amnesia and yeah. we show you know oftentimes i refer to it as fish in a fish tank we walk around and you kind of go oh oh look bubbles and we walk back around and go oh oh, oh look bubbles and that pain point of the repeatable mistake that happens every single time, the same way that we set up, you know, we don't take enough time in the beginning of a job to set it up properly. I often say that if, if we're, you know, today, you know, I just gave a big lecture on this with our superintendents the other day about uh, having, you know, pre-construction meetings that are three and four hours long. And they all looked at me like I was, I was an alien. Like who's got that kind of time? Yeah. Listen. Or attention span. Will they even be listening? <laughs> it's it, But the problem is, when we don't do that, right? Hour one of every meeting is nonsense. It's everybody, you know, kissing everybody's ass, everybody talking about all the niceties. No one's afraid to say, you're bullshit. I can't make that schedule. My guys aren't going to show up like that every day. That you want me to have six guys, and but truth is I'll have four guys and three of them are, are sober, right? That's a lot and, of sober guys on a construction site. <laughs> you know, but so that's, you know, and I don't mean that there's a listen. I, I mean, I, I think construction people, you know, there's two industries in this world. I, I believe are the hardest working ones. And I think that construction is one of them. I think restaurant people are, are another one of them there, you know, this great world is built by very hardworking people. Yeah. Right? Construction is the biggest, best industry in the world. And the, uh, it catches a lot of people that don't have other opportunities, like people who might have felonies or might not be able to get a desk job. They might not be able to work with their minds. They might, be really strong though, so they can carry cinder blocks or something. I mean, construction catches a lot of people that would otherwise be getting into a lot of trouble, and it's a great thing for them. Yeah. So, so as we get into the the idea of all right, construction is it captures a lot of jobs for all kinds of people, and as those jobs change and get more automated, right? Those people that are on there, they worry about are right, are those people not going to have jobs? And and today we know that more than ever, there are plenty of jobs for people. Uh, to evolve to. It may not, it may change, right? The, the, our, our change is slow, which is good for all of us, right? It, it keeps it keeps the world from getting uneven. And knowing that, you know, it's not going to change overnight, that as uh, robotics come into play, uh, people that were in the physical world, you know, people who, uh, if, if you go look at companies like uh, Hilti and their new JBot robot, uh, the, the people that operate that JBot the best are the people who used to do layout the best. Right, the guys who physically did the layout work with JBot, the robot, the best because they understand the components of it. Right, with a little bit of training on how to operate the robot, all of a sudden, they do a pretty good job of operating a robot for people who that used to do physical layout. Yeah, it's a cool machine. You don't need to move the ladder around or reach high spaces and stuff. It becomes it becomes an easy way for them to make that conversion, right? So the people that you know, when we worry about having. Uh, those those the, losing those jobs, I think it's one of those ones where, okay, it's it's justified to think that way. Yeah, I think we can agree. There's no reason to concern about uh, jobs lost to automated construction, at least today. And if that was the problem, then it would be a world where we're living in so much excess that those people don't need to work probably anyway. Yeah, look, I think we're all somewhere in the future going to be faced with automated uh, workforce in every realm. If humans do it today. Uh, our robots, artificial intelligence will do it much, much better later yeah, on. I mean, the Tesla bot's coming soon. Yeah, the Tesla bot is, you know, I'm still waiting for my Tesla to be able to uh, 
to go out and do robo taxi all day as promised when I bought the car uh, in 2018. They they promised me that at some point I'll make sixty thousand dollars a year uh, while I'm working. And my 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 Tesla's out there doing robotic uh, robot uh, pickups and drop offs. Uh, you know, I, I was yeah. I'm hoping that. they do that too, so my Model Three can pay for my Cybertruck. That's right. That's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. That's and that's what we all want right. So that so that we can keep evolving. Uh, to Getting more time. Teslas. Yeah. And yeah, listen, they're here. Right. Anybody who has one says the same thing. I, they they love it. I, I I really don't know anybody. Maybe there are a few folks out there who complain about it, but uh, I'm sure they would complain about just about anything. If for me, it saves me thousands of dollars because thousands. I drive like eight thousand miles a month. Thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars and convenience and being able to charge at my home. Now, long trips aren't my favorite. I actually well, love the long trips. I was doing the long trips in my Jeep before, uh, and the Jeep would go like six hours on the highway because I do like a 24-hour drive. Uh, so to stop every three hours and take 40 minutes, walk my dog, whatever, uh, take get some food, there's always something to keep me busy in that time. And I think it's a much better lifestyle and they're, the Tesla stations are so much cleaner than gas stations, but now we're kind of outside relatable topics. Well, let's get, let's get back onto that. Let's go, let's get back to the uh, road to uh, 3d printers. So, you know, in your journeys and in, in the, in the, the, the 3d printers that you're looking at, what are the ones that stand out with you the most? Anything that's new, like the ones that stand out the least are the basic boxes, like four walls trying to look like a regular house. Uh, and they do this to make it comparable, but it's not optimized because they're using the printer to build the most efficient way for humans to build instead of creating a design that optimizes for the way the machine builds. Like, for example, a circular structure has more area compared to the perimeter. So you use less wall to get more square feet inside if it's a round structure. Uh, and that's a like a hack to get more square footage out of your material, whether people want to live in a circular house or not. I mean, people lived in igloos, caves. Uh, why do we live in square houses right now? It's hard to uh, determine, but anything new, like the, I don't really like to pick favorites. The best houses are the ones that are unique and new, like the Fibonacci house by 20 added manufacturing house zero by icon, uh, that Mensa Corte house by uh, Perry in Germany. Uh, all three of those, are totally different than any other house in the world. And so it's those kinds of projects that excite me and make me eager to film and uh, produce more content. I think that's awesome, right? The, the inspiration uh, from the design that gets created, uh, I think that that's it, it's uh, fun to watch and inspiring to all of us. And I think there's where uh, the future of our game is in, in having this these robots create designs we could not have thought about with, with uh, bricks and sticks that we were building with before. Jared, I, I think it's awesome having you on the show. Uh, as your journeys continue to grow and, and your ideas and, and the things you're seeing, I'd love to show you off and uh, talk about the work you're doing. It's uh, very interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think we could probably structure a conversation a little differently. And like, I mean, you have crazy experience. Uh, I don't get to talk to a lot of guys that have the general contracting experience you do. One day I'll venture outside of automated construction and have other construction stuff on my podcast. So uh, I'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for that. And uh, maybe like episode 100 or something. I'm doing like two or three a week. So that's not too far away. I, I, anytime, uh, anytime you want to go out there. You know, sometimes I, I find some of the best conversations I've ever had have just meandered down paths 
and I get I get feedback from folks saying that was great. I really enjoyed that. That was a uh, uh, you know something interesting. You should talk more about that. I think it's a it's an interesting. They're interesting conversations to have. So uh, great, great having you on. Yeah, cool, man. Thank you. We'll uh, we'll look forward to having you on again. And hey, if you liked uh, listening to our to our uh, meandering conversation tonight, please make sure that you take a second and like and subscribe. Uh, Jared and I, it means the world to us uh, when we get uh, subscribers, and we're grateful as always. Jared, if people want to get a hold of you, where's the best place for them to find you? They can check out my YouTube channel, Jared Gross, or any of my social media platforms on uh, Instagram or TikTok. Both have over 100,000 followers, Automate Construction, at Automate Construction, uh, or my website, automate.construction. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi, always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.